Okay, I guess it's time for Jade Explains the Shit. Of the 13 listed main cast for Shit's Creek, 12 out of 13 of them are Canadian, and Sweets, you nailed it. The only American one is Chris Elliott. Noah Reed is Franklin the Turtle Slaney. He's Canadian royalty. Spoiler alert! Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. So you're just basking over there? You already... Do you know you, how many you times... You already sat over there and were like, uh, actually... You were such an actually guy about it. There was no grace there. Earlier in the episode, you insulted my intelligence with a, oh, congratulations, you can count. Like, Ooh, did I say that? You did. Oh, that's rude. So, yeah. okay, so this stayed with you. You actually left the podcast yeah. thinking Colm's kind of a dick tonight. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. And I didn't want that. The first thing that comes on is a Jade explains the thing. <laughs> well, look, this one is only significant to me because there's an awful lot of Jade explains the things that correct a thing I said. That's fair. Which is valid. And also, I tend to do this thing where if I'm musing, I'm wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah, true. Yes. No, right. I just mean like I, I understand <laughs> where you're coming from with that. As for the congratulations you can count thing, I don't. do you remember why I said that? Yes. I remember I said, saying it. I said this is episode 196. Oh, okay. So what I think that was was that we had you had said it was 195 the week before. Yeah. Because I've been ribbing you about suddenly being on top of what episode right. number we're on. That's true. You're right. The phrasing of that is not friendly, and I apologize. That's okay. I'm over it. <laughs> no, you're not. It stayed with you. <laughs> I'm not over it. <laughs> we should hash it out. This is a should be. We should start with a therapy session. The first five minutes. Yeah. Of every... No, I don't want to. I don't want to to be like the smug guy who <laughs> Rath- says shit like that. <laughs> rather than. Rather than like a fact check or like corrections at the end, mm. we should do like a, <laughs> an like a like a couples therapist. Exactly. Like, like now, a, here's where you could have handled it differently. Exactly. Like an airing <laughs> of grievances and uh, an emotional support uh, for the first five minutes. Now, Colin, can you think of something else you could have said that would have been more constructive in this moment? How do you think that might have made me feel? I can kind of see how it would make him feel. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, All well, right. her uh, Jade's point is that uh, a lot of Canadians on Shit's Creek. I'm happy we worked past this. That was and the I excitement. Do that. And I did check when I got home, and I was sad to see that it was like there was one American, and it was overwhelmingly uh, Canadian. Yeah. And I think probably only Chris Elliott is. Well, there's two things we talked before about how it was supposed to be kind of a family thing, and they were going to get Abby Elliott on board as well. And wasn't Abby Elliott still in an episode? Maybe she. It wouldn't surprise me if she turned up at some yeah. point. Um, but I'm thinking Chris Elliott only gets the gig because he's buddies with Eugene Levy and he doesn't yeah. have a whole lot more going on anyway. Right. Uh, and they probably were like, well, you get to be the titular character, which, yeah, I mean, right. he's probably like eighth on the call sheet and somehow he's the titular shit. Right. Rolling shit. Yes. How you doing? How you been? Good. Um, Just, yeah, kind of kind of taken away. Birthdays on Saturday. Getting oh, a yeah. weekend weekend uh, Saturday birthday. Feeling good about that. I always forget that our birthdays are as close as they are. They're close. Yeah. Um, what are your What are your birthday plans? Well, I'm supposed to golf, but the weather has been oh, bad yeah. every weekend. And it's going to be Hurricane Elsa or something this weekend. But I think it's actually kind of shaping up now. Yeah. Like, I think they're now saying it's only going to be like two to three millimeters of rain or something. Yeah. Actually, like, I, I think I that's think, true. Yeah. I think most of the rain is supposed to come like tonight and mm. tomorrow morning. Oh, okay. Which is great. Yeah, we're back indoors for the first time in quite a while. This is the first time you've been up here in a long, long time. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Love it up here. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. What are you watching? Anything good? Uh, second season of I Think You Should Leave. 
Oh, I knew we were going to talk about this. We've been yes. hard on it. I knew and for I'm, sure it would come up. There are only like 15-minute episodes this time around. I think that was true last time. Yeah, it could could have been. Because we flew through them in like a day. Yeah, and we are flying through these ones, and they're so hilarious and bizarre. And I think I've got even more of an appreciation after rewatching the first season and watching Detroiters like twice. Okay. Everything is just so much funnier. What's the what's the parallel there? Well, the first season so Tim Robinson is like one of the main guys in Detroiters. Oh, I don't think yeah. I knew that. Him and Sam Richardson, who was recently in that movie with um uh Chris Pratt. It's like the Tomorrow War on Oh, Amazon. I was going to ask you about that as well. Yeah. yeah. Also watch that. Right. Which was okay. It was like Alien. It was another one of those movies that like not to get too off track from I think you should leave because I do we'll think there's some it. fruitful stuff there. Yeah. But Sam Richardson in The Tomorrow War, uh, it's pretty funny. It's like a funny alien movie kind of thing. Not, Hasn't not Chris like Pratt kind of done something like that before? Oh, wait a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but like alien invasion movie more. Okay. Like. It's not like an outer space movie. It's like the All aliens right. come to Earth and then they have to travel to the future to fight the war of tomorrow like an action thriller yeah and um uh it it's one of those ones that jk simmons is also in it it just seems like it ends kind of quick yeah like it it ends it's another one of those movies that ends with a voiceover being like of like (laughs) and that was (laughs) that was when i knew no we'd Fought the Tomorrow War. So wait a second. Was it inconclusive like that Tony Collette movie you watched last month? Because this was it's what it reminds me of having not yeah. seen either one of these no, movies. No, no, it wasn't inconclusive. It it tidied itself up, but then it just felt like it really put a bow on itself with a, a voiceover and like some yeah. random kind of scenes at the end. Okay. Yeah, that's disappointing. But it wasn't it was I'd give it like a if I gave that other movie a fifty percent, mm. I gave the Tomorrow War like seventy six percent okay so it's 50 percent better than the last movie yeah it's like a fun watch okay well that's a good review that's all these movies are meant to be Mm -hmm. okay um i think you should leave i think you should leave which i have not seen any of uh after season one okay um a lot more guest stars okay yeah of course i think not necessarily like a-lister guest stars although i would say there are maybe a couple a-listers so far um and well, maybe not A-listers, but like B-listers. And okay. what, like your Beck Bennett's that type? No, like like Bob Odenkirk. Oh, okay. So eh, it's pushing A-list, I think. It's it's pushing A-list yeah. for sure. Um, so him, and then like the guy who played, who's like a good actor who played um, uh, that guy in I Tanya, like one of the. Uh oh, is it um. The, bigger, is it Richard Jewell, bigger, that guy? Exactly, that's who it is. Paul Walter Hauser. Yes. Yes. And he's so funny in it. Um, Patty Harrison is in it. She's hysterical. She's so funny. We're very slowly going through Shrill. Oh, she's the best part of it. She is the best part of Shrill. She's not in it very much. No. And we don't find ourselves even remembering that we're watching it. So it right. it's there's like, I don't know, there's maybe 30 episodes of that series and yeah. for a year and a half, we've been watching like the first 12 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and you can watch uh, like the best of Patty Harrison in Shrill. And sometimes I just put that on. She's also very funny on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. And uh, TikTok. I think she's too. funny on Instagram for sure. Yeah. But I didn't, I, I don't follow her on Twitter. Yes. She's really, so she's been in it. 
She's yeah, yeah and yeah. she's been in the first season. She's actually like I think a writer and kind of like pops in random episodes. Okay. Yeah. Um it had a lot to live up to because Tim Heidecker too. Oh yeah, good. Yeah. Part of was he in um Master of None season three, by the way? Was it uh that's Eric Wareheim. Oh. They're but they're a pair, right? They are. Okay. Uh no, he wasn't. I well, I didn't finish it. I watched those oh. two episodes and was kinda like, eh. I didn't I never even tried it. No? No, and maybe I will. I keep forgetting you, it exists. I mean, you, I, you won't you won't hate it, no. but it's just like not very active. Incredibly quiet release. Like it it didn't yeah. even move the needle. No, there was a lot of talk leading up to it and then He did no press for it. No. Nothing. I wonder if he was upset about it. So I think you should leave had a lot to live up to, but part of the the wonderment of the first season was how unlikely it was that it was like maybe the best sketch comedy in a decade. Right. Um, which is kind of like a broad way to describe something that's so niche, but like it was really surprisingly hilarious and enjoyable yeah. to the extent that people watched it like five times. Yeah. Um, does it live up to the hype? It does. Wow. Like it really does. Great. It's um, just as absurd and hilarious and like there are things it was one of those things where i was like is is he gonna be able to like put lightning in a bottle a second time because yeah he apparently wrote a lot of those sketches for saturday night live and they didn't get chosen and he was like not not hard to imagine why by the way they're pretty out there it's like every skit is about him either not getting the joke or like failing to accept a truth basically. Right. And getting like a real, like one of the skits that I watched yesterday was there's like a van weaving through a parking lot and this guy behind him is yelling and he yells out the window like, I can't drive. <laughs> and the guy's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I can't drive. And then he touches the steering wheel and he's like, ah, he's like, what the <laughs> steering wheel burned you? <laughs> like it hurts. So he he's physically like, can't drive. I don't drive. know what it is. No, no, he's like, he realizes that, he realizes the steering wheel didn't actually hurt him. He's just like freaking out about minimal things. Okay. But doesn't know how to drive. He's like, people can't do everything, okay? Just lean it. There's no, there's no real conclusion to it. You mean there's no general thesis of the show? No, 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 no. It's all. I don't know. I kind of thought you were making a good case for there being a singular thesis to the show. Well, given that it's cold, I think you should leave. It's a, the, the theme is all these people who are horrible to be stuck near. Well, so that that name I guess comes from like skits technically or um like a lot of like improv scenes just ending with someone being told I think you should leave. Oh, is that a cliche? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. So and I didn't know this until I heard it in like an interview yeah. last year. So yeah, essentially like in all of these skits you could yeah. you could have the character. They could all end like that. Right. That that's interesting. It kind right. of feels familiar even though I didn't know that. That makes it an even better title. Right. Like, it was I a fine title before. Just get out of here. It reminds me a little bit of You Made It Weird. It's kind of yeah. the same theme as that. Totally. Have you listened to any You Made It Weird lately? No. There haven't been a lot of great guests. He hasn't had a guest that I was really like excited about in quite a long time. And now he puts out two a week and every Friday he does a show just with his wife right and i haven't listened to any of those no i i listened to one in the last couple weeks but he has a new sitcom coming out he's like the star of a bowling sitcom on cbs where he plays like a pro bowler huh we talked about it i remember because you said do you think he feels 
You think Chris Hardwick feels like he's eating his lunch. Well, that's what I was just thinking again. <laughs> <laughs> the wheels returning. I'm like, that should be Chris Hardwick's. I know that Marin used to kind of feel like Pete was eating his lunch, which is silly because Marin is way more famous for podcasting than Pete was. But he kind of feels like Pete ripped off his podcast, oh. which also seems silly now because everybody rips off Marin's podcast. Right. That's what podcasts are. Yeah. Um, he must be angry right now. Marin is less angry than he's ever been. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He's a big teddy bear now. Huh. Interestingly, I because we were just getting off of such a long Bo Burnham wave. Yep. Arguably still happening. Um, I listened to Bo Burnham on uh, WTF from like five years ago. Okay. Bo is much younger. He's doing a cocky thing, like yeah. a like a I'm 24 and kind of smug and over it all. Right. Um, Marin is way more childish of the two of them. He's like openly uh, bitter about. Bo being famous at 24. He's very condescending about the musical comedy stuff. Oh, no. It's quite distasteful. Yeah. That sucks. It sucks when you start to really feel that a host is like, there's something going on between the host. Well, it can be done well. I would say like when a host does that or specifically when someone like Marin is doing that, he's trying to be David Letterman in the 80s. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or in the 90s. Like, he's trying to be uh, irreverent and and one of the cool guys. Right. Almost, like, indifferent, but, like, oh, yeah, tell me all about your, like, music. Right. But, but actually, he's just being a dick. Right. Yeah. And, by the way, so was Letterman. So was Letterman. Yeah. It was just new at the time. Yeah. He just invented it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Anything else? We watched it. We talked about the movie. We talked about... It's been a couple weeks. It has. But there there hasn't been much. There's been nope. Loki. There is there is no entertainment news either, so let's milk this puppy. Really? There, yeah. There's been Loki, and that's about it. I finished the Before trilogy, so when we last talked- I watched the second one. Oh, okay. Yeah. What did you think of the second one? I found it fascinating. Yes. So what I had said to you is that the first one is a movie, the second one is a podcast, and I regret saying that now because okay. the visuals are so important to the movie, mm-hmm. but what I meant is that- it's a conversation without any other activity happening in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like the coda of her singing a song at the end. Yeah. But more crucially, it is in real time, which the first and third movie are not. I, I asked myself at one point, is there going to be a cut? There is are no cuts. Is this a single shot movie? Yeah, well, it's not a single shot movie, no. but there are like, it's, you know, an 81 minute movie or something. And it's supposed and it's, to be It's happening. 81 minutes for them too. Yeah. Yeah. Not a single bathroom break. No. Man, yeah, it was... Um, it and they was, drink coffee, too, so... I know. It's tough. And it was interesting. I wonder how quickly they shot that whole movie. Like a couple weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because uh-huh. what makes it challenging is that they're going for real time. So daylight is quite right. limited, right? Yeah. You have to get it at the right time of day. So they just really made a meal out of like, well, we'll be in France for... That's the whole point of these movies. Yeah, it's yeah. just buddies hanging out in beautiful European right. cities. But it was almost kind of, almost kind of startling too. Okay. You know, just the fact that like they were together and then 10 years later, they're re-meeting. I didn't know that. I kind of thought that at the end of the first movie, they planned to meet up again. Yep. And I figured when we see them together again in the second one, that they have been together. Right. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all. And and you learn, you know, that uh, 
you would uh why do i want to say you and mcgregor ethan hawk actually showed up for that meeting but she didn't because her grandmother died right but they didn't exchange information and it was such a long time ago where you needed a phone number or else you're never gonna it's right. not like you could find them on social media it's 2003 i think yeah so um she didn't show he did he was obviously like heartbroken and so they're kind of dealing with some of those feelings too and then also dealing with the feelings that she had because he's in the subsequent time wrote a book about that experience and right. it's becoming like a pretty popular book yeah he's like kind he's of doing on like a world tour well he's able to uh, he's found through this book right like right. she's aware of the book and that's how she locates him right um in the third one without giving it away sure. he has continued that writerly success cool um i would go into the third movie cautiously do you remember yeah. when marriage story came out and everyone was like wow this is a warts and all depiction of marriage yeah. and like they're not gonna hold anything back about how uncomfortable this is if you're married you're gonna hate your time watching this movie right i think that before midnight dwarfs marriage story Whoa. for the warts and all there is a scene in a, in, in a hotel room which is the vast majority of the film that is very sad at times oh my god yeah and i i i don't know the answer to if they're together or not and i guess i'm not supposed to going into it going into part three yeah i mean yeah, you're not supposed they're, to. they're together but i don't know if they have been together well it ends very sweetly and she plays like you're because you're right it begins with this revelation that he's written a book about her yeah it the second one ends with a revelation that she's written a song about him and i actually love the the ending is so quick mm -hmm. like it sneaks up so fast on you and i'm getting chills talking about it because i i just thought that that was such a tasteful and like new way well ethan, ethan hawk has another movie that ends very abruptly and and we're going to talk about that a little bit later okay um Kid Detective is the other movie I watched. I don't know if you've had the chance yet. Yes, man. I haven't watched it. Okay. I, I was looking for it months ago. Yeah. And I heard from everything that um, Adam, Bro Adam Brody? Yep. Everything that Adam Brody was saying about it, I was like, I'm going to love this movie. You are. I know I'm really going to like it. Like yeah. he was he was kind of taking talking about lines, talking about how his life work. And obviously, you know, we're, we're kind of Seth fans from back in the day anyway. Totally. Yeah. So, I thought that seeing that in as kind of like a washed up former <laughs> detective. Well, it's really a, it's a really a movie for millennials. And, and it's funny cause I, I wanted to talk a little bit later about uh, movie teachers as we talk about dead poet society. And coincidentally, this trailer was making the rounds today for uh, a new TV series with Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah. Called Mr. Corman. Corman. Yeah. And it's very explicitly trying to be about that, unapparent feeling that that millennials are all experiencing where we're like starting to learn how to define our certain depression and lostness in a broken society like that's <laughs> yeah. clearly like what this guy is supposed to be and kid detective is kind of that too like he had all of this childhood wonderment when he was a kid and he was encyclopedia brown right and now he's 36 or something and he doesn't shave every day right. and his office uh his office assistant is kind of shitty to him and right real life kind of sucks but it's a dark comedy and very whimsical oh nice yes and um a genuinely good uh like plot like it's, it's plot driven right because it's a it's a mystery show it's almost kind of like world buildy too right in the way that everyone's kind of almost like 
how Juno, everyone kind of spoke a certain way. Am I right about that? Uh, well, that's a fascinating reference because they did speak a certain way in Juno and that way is not necessarily apparent in other Diablo Cody scripts. Right. I watched Juno in the last year and I thought that like, where, where did she get this like language from? Right. I don't know that I necessarily found that to be the case. Do you mean like in like a Wes Anderson kind of way? Like a, um, like a like a super surreal kind of um, universe in which it is because it's not quite that. Maybe not surreal, but maybe like um, sarcastic or kind of like of a certain. Um, from the interview that I heard with Adam Brody, there was a line that he said that someone says to him, which is like very like kind of smarmy, but it's coming from a kid. Maybe it's like treating all the kids as they're like very intelligent. So maybe all the youth dialogue is like a little sharper sort of right i mean i guess that's true i don't really know i didn't hear the quote this is this is slaney making assumptions about a movie he hasn't seen so well i mean i haven't been able to other than becky i haven't been able to talk about this movie with anybody okay so i would love if you watched it on on crave it's a crave original it's it's on crave yes sir yeah oh my god yeah i was crave is in the credits it is uh it is a movie that is set in ontario like the license plates are ontario license plates oh wow yeah cool so that's kind of neat um I really want to talk to you about about the climax because it's like a plot driven movie and they they go in an interesting direction. Really? Okay, yeah. I'm I'm for sure going to watch this if not this weekend, which is a very real possibility, then before the next show show. Okay. But cool. Text me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in, in case I've forgotten. If I don't text you about it over the next 5 days, then you got to text me. We watched um, The Queen. I don't know why I bring this up. It just happens to be a movie I hadn't seen before, but the Helen Mirren Queen right. movie that she won an Oscar for, which is a Peter Morgan movie, which is interesting because he's the crown guy. Oh. So okay. it's kind of weird that in the next season of The Crown, he's about to retread familiar territory. He's basically right. going to tell the Diana story again. Well, he just inserts like Helen Mirren clips. Well, it just kind of feels like he could skip over it and just say that The Queen is actually season five of The Crown. It's true. Except How old is the queen right now? 90 something. 94, 95. She's been in her early 90s for most of my life. Right. Doesn't it feel that way? It, like, it feels like she's it's, been old It's forever. ridiculous to imagine that she was in her 60s when I was born. Yeah. Yeah. She but I guess she a, was. A grandmotherly vibe. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> I watched a couple Party Downs. I'd never seen Party Down before. But that's my Kaplan corner for the week that I've like... I saw it on Crave and I decided to put a couple of them on because they're bringing that back. I like Party Down. Yeah. It's kind of, um, I think the characters must get a little more likable as the show rolls on, eh? Yeah. Well, like Ken Marino's not likable in He's it. He's just never likable. I've only seen a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. He's like so cringy. Right. And so is Jane Lynch. I mean, I guess Adam Scott and Lizzie Kaplan are the likable kind of like normal people in it. Yeah. Right? And But they're not, they're not very nice either. They're just kind of like sardonic and... Right. They're like Jim Halpert, but they say fuck. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I've got two Mad Men's left. We watched uh, the diabetes. Oh, that's crazy. Two, yeah. We watched the diabetes fun run with uh, Jen's cousin, who's now going into eighth grade. Okay, I don't understand most of what you just said. (laughs) The diabetes fun run is an episode of The Office. No, no, not uh, rabies. Yes, it's rabies. Rabies fun (laughs) run. Sorry about that. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I would have known what you meant if you said yeah, that. Yeah, should have said rabies. Yeah. Um, but uh, he seemed to really enjoy it. And mm-hmm. I was like, Jen was like, I don't know if he can watch this. I was like, he's in grade eight. 
Like, yeah, we're no. good. It was on network TV. If his mom says something about it, I will have I will sit her down and have a frank conversation about stuff that I saw when I was in grade eight. It's also a pretty wholesome show. It is, and yeah. that was the other thing. It's like the worst thing that's going to happen in this is like Michael Scott hitting a person with their car. Right. Well, in early seasons, he says stuff that's yeah racist sh- and sexist. Totally. Yeah, yeah, that stuff doesn't age well. But, but it's very clear that he's doing that. Like your your eighth joke. your eighth grade nephew would definitely recognize or cousin or whatever he is. Jen, it's Jen's cousin, right? Jen's cousin. Yeah. Jen's cousin recognizes racism and misogyny better than we do. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. That's all that I've been watching. So uh, we can talk about other things. Um, what do you make of the big Quentin Tarantino press tour? Yeah. Have you learned anything? I kind of want to read the book. I have the book downstairs. You do. You I read the it. first like fifty pages. Nice. Yeah. What did you think so far? It's okay. It's like, I think the experiment of the book is interesting. I don't know if he's self-aware about it. Maybe he is. Like, he kind of frames it like, I always liked to read movie novelizations when I was a kid. They were my favorite books because I like movies so much. I don't think he, like, mistakes himself for F. Scott Fitzgerald. Mm -hmm. But we're just reading it to, like, see if it's as good as a Tarantino movie. Yeah, we're and how, like, he, I, I think on some level he thinks like we're all as curious as him about Rick Dalton. Right. And I'm not. I do want to know if Rick Dalton actually killed his wife. I think we're supposed to think he did. Yeah, you mean Cliff. Oh, yeah, Cliff. Um, sorry. Cliff is the one that I care about. Rick Dalton I care about less. Right. Oh, yeah. I And I, I gather that it's Cliff's book, that gotcha. he is more decidedly the the main character. And actually, I would argue he's the main character of the movie, too, more so than Rick Dalton. Yeah. Yeah. He's certainly the one that I think the audience cared about. Mm-hmm. Um so I I made the the switch over. I didn't switch anything, but I I opened up the old Spotify app. Sure. Dusted off the uh dust as it were and um listened to a couple episodes cuz I I think I'm going to be an armchair expert listener straight out. Like I want to hear them talk to Barack Obama. Yeah, they get really good guests. I want to hear them talk to Quentin yeah. Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino was actually what flipped me. I was like, I want to see too. what that conversation. And then was. I saw the Obama chat there and like I don't want to be a prude about it, but like Dax said the f-word in front of President Obama too many times. He said it at least twice. He said it like too, 11 probably, times. You think so? Yeah. I just think it was like you I think you're a little too comfortable. I think that, like, show a little more respect. And I hate hearing myself say that, but, like, if anybody, maybe show a little more respect. That's so interesting because when I, when I heard it, I was like, oh, is he going to apologize? And then he, it's funny, we, we had kind of a similar reaction. Yeah. But I think my end reaction was like, oh, all right. Like, maybe there was a discussion before of, like, listen, like, I, I swear and it's just a natural thing that I do. So I don't want to throw that off. So there will be swearing probably if he did that it's totally fine with me i think there probably was because i don't think otherwise i think barack obama could ask for it to be removed he did the same thing with prince harry he was just like a little too familiar with this guy who's like kind of otherworldly but he also famously hates the monarchy like that's an important distinction for dax Dax does yeah oh i don't think i knew that yeah he's like hardcore the the monarchy should not exist Okay, And so in the fact check of that episode, they were very much going into like, he was like, listen, I, I like him. I just still like, I don't, I don't get why it has to exist. I don't think you're going out on a limb to even say to Harry, by the way, monarchies are stupid. I think Harry would be like, yup. Yeah, man. (laughs) And yeah, they might've, it might've kind of come up, but I 
think maybe his people were like, let's not go down the road of like shitting all over. Well, I mean, yeah, it's already been done, I guess. Well, and like, what am I talking about? Like I say the F word on this podcast. It's just like this weird thing that stood out to me like, oh, wow, of, of anybody. But we didn't when Barack Obama was on. No, when he was here, when he we, was in the garage. We so well behaved <laughs> with the cats. But when Quentin Tarantino's on the podcast, you say the F word, it'd be disrespectful not to. Of course. But did Quentin Tarantino? Oh, probably. I don't know if he did. I don't know. He had some cool stories. He always does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But he really does have like a lost sense of like what other people know about movies. And that's the other thing that about the book that's, that's very boring is that he's just naming so many people I've never heard of. Right. Because it's all. And that's what his like second book is going to be about. It's going to yeah. be about like movies from... 1968 to 1981 and he's gonna be doing commentary on all these you're good like that's a that's a bet uh, maybe a 15 percenter quentin well and like sometimes he's very down to earth like it's very weird to even hear him like reference um joker or something you're like right. oh yeah quentin coexists in a world where joker is a thing and of course yeah. he saw it and like he has feelings about like Mad Max Fury Road or There Will Be Blood or something. But then also he's really preoccupied with these other things that are just not part of the same culture. And yet to him, they are an interesting conversation. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no. Uh, An interesting thing that he mentioned on on the Armchair podcast. And I think somewhere else, too, because I've heard him on on Rogan, too. But I didn't listen to that. I didn't listen to I didn't listen to Rogan. I listened to him on Marin, though. Oh, he's on Marin. And he was on the um, the movie podcast on The Ringer that I like. Big picture. He was on like tons of stuff. Wow. Um, Hawk and his book. Anyway, he he talked about, because you know I've been like a little preoccupied lately with what the difference is between films and TV episodes. Yeah. Most recently, like a month ago, I watched The Comey Rule and I was like, could this have been a, a long movie? Right. And I determined, no, it's the shortest TV series of all time because just it's not paced like a movie. And so Quentin made the argument that Queen's Gambit is actually a movie. Yeah. Paced like a movie, it's just seven hours long. Yep. And I thought more about that, and I don't know if I agree. I, th- I think I get his point, and I think it's certainly as captivating as a movie. But realistically, it's, if nothing else, three movies because it's seven hours long. Right. And if it was, we wouldn't have been able to watch it in a week. Mm-hmm. So it would lose some of its luster. We'd have to watch it over five years as it comes out every other Christmas. Right. And the middle movie, the second of the three movies would have been boring. Well, and I think the first you would have been like, what did we get out of that? Like she's, she's an up and coming chess champion. She's won a couple local. Right. <laughs> like tournaments. She was a little girl. She got good at chess and now she has a mom who drinks too much. Right. If you were going to make it a three movie series, it ends up with her being like, like, 40 at the end of it so but i think to quentin's point no it's one movie except to my point no it's not right and and then also who cares although who would be down for a seven hour movie uh nobody richard linkletter is gonna do that within the next (laughs) couple years he's doing a 20 year movie right now. where he just calls it sunday yeah (laughs) It's it's just having breakfast and then lunch and then dinner or maybe something crazy actually happens. Okay. And they just have to kind of deal with it in real time throughout that day. I do love single day movies. Like Oh Di- yes. Die Hard Three, great single day movie. Super and Die bad. Hard. And Die Hard Two. I mean a lot of movies are single day movies. It's true, but it's fun to watch. Definitely. Oh. But yeah. if you actually made it 
more real-timey? Richard Linklater is a champion of the mundane. He likes his movies to not have anything too spectacular so they feel more grounded and beautiful. Right. <clears throat> Except for... School, School of Rock. Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Great teacher movie. Yeah. We're going to talk more about that later. Okay. Um, Bill Cosby's out of prison. Yeah. What happened Didn't there? Didn't see that coming. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. They're just like, and uh, Pennsylvania said... Didn't really matter. Like at Sunday dinner at my parents' place, somehow, this was two weeks ago, uh, somehow Bill Cosby came up in conversation and my mother said, he's going to die in prison. And four days later, he oh, was a free man. My God. Yeah. How does your mom feel about being responsible for Bill Cosby being released? I haven't asked her that and I haven't put her put it on her yet. <laughs> To my mom's credit, she always hated Bill Cosby even before everyone else did. Really? And so she really like, she doesn't relish the Bill Cosby incident in any way. Right. But at least she can say, I told you so. She right. always got a bad vibe from Bill Cosby. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. America's dad. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at America. Kind of. <laughs> right? And now he wants to make a documentary and do a comedy tour and his people are like, America's ready for Bill again. And America's oh, like, like, well, no. Whoa, no. we're actually the opposite. Except for Felicia Rashad, Mrs. Right. Mrs. Huxtable, who really didn't read the room at all. Who got called out by... By who? By uh, Aunt Viv. Original Aunt Viv. <laughs> oh, wow. Called her out. That's so much like, better than the Will Smith news I have for this week. <laughs> I was basically <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, Felicia, I love you, but you're... Like fucking crazy. Yeah. This is your worst take ever. Yeah. Wow. Really disappointing. She's like, you could have said like, I support him because she said he's innocent or something. She's like, you knew what was going on then. Everyone knew. Well, and yes, exactly. Like how blind did you have to be to not notice some really sketchy stuff happening in the eighties when he was at the height of his powers? You spent that much time with Bill Cosby. Like how much were you not paying attention? Right. Or were you just brainwashed by his his weird cult because he does have a cult right like everybody who played his kid on that show calls him dad in real life Ooh, like yeah. that's psychotic yeah it's a weird one for sure yes it's and he insisted on being called doctor by everybody else <laughs> right yeah, that is crazy too <laughs> not a well-adjusted guy right and now. felicia rashad has become a semi-regular on this is us and in the last two years i guess i kind of thought to myself like, well, she, I don't know specifically what she said, but she must have come out against Bill Cosby because otherwise she'd be canceled. <laughs> yeah. But no, she had the wrong position on that one. Yeah. Keeps on trucking away. That's right. Rutherford Falls renewed for season two. Nice. I feel like that would be worthy of a full watch. Yeah. Should probably give it my attention. Yeah. And what we do in the shadows also... I'm like close to finishing. I kind of just put on an episode every once in a while. Watched a little bit more Dave. Oh, and yeah. Dave is also really funny. Dave is the rapper guy? Yeah. Okay. Lil Dicky. Yeah. Um, And I think there are multiple seasons coming out of both of those. Like there's a third season coming out for what we do in the shadows. The idea of Dave is that he's actually a very good rapper though right like like yes he's he's nerdy and he's cringy but like when he raps he's surprisingly good is that the premise yeah i think so and he's got like a lot of anxiety and stuff but he is like surprisingly talented there was like a whole thing where like a kid really liked his youtube videos um but then they were able to get like macklemore last minute so he wanted to do 
he like the kid's dying wish was to do like for Lil Dicky to do a concert at his funeral. Oh my god! And he was like not feeling it, and then he was like almost ready, and then Macklemore shows up at the end of the episode. <laughs> And he's like, all right, come on, yeah. I'm like waving his hands. I haven't heard somebody say Macklemore out loud in over five years. He was on Armchair Expert like like two months ago, I think. So he must be trying to come back? I'm not sure what he's trying to do. But like I was a fan of him. Like I was a fan of like what he was saying. I was like, you know what? Oh, yeah. No, I liked those couple songs. Yeah. And Thrift Shop was huge. Like that oh, was yeah. one of the last songs of the summer before that trend went away. Mm. And then the Equal Marriage song was good too. Mm-hmm. But like not as big of a hit. He's essentially going to be a one-hit wonder, right? Like he's not coming back in a big way. I think whatever he releases has the ability to be like super catchy. Hmm. Even like Downtown. Oh yeah. It was pretty catchy, but like yeah, it might just be like a an a moment in time that that passes. Well, and Thrift Shop was like, it was a jam, but it was such a novelty song. Like, it's yeah. it's going to be the everybody was kung fu fighting of his generation. Yeah, it could be. Could be for sure. Third season of um, Succession coming out soon. First trailer got released yesterday. Okay. So I really gave it a good try. Oh, you did? And Becky could not get into it. Okay. And she's going to disagree with me saying this on the podcast because I think she likes to think that she was giving it a try, but she clearly is not drawn to succession. So I think I'm going to try it on my own because I really liked what I saw. Nice. Yeah. How many episodes would you say you watched? Probably like five or six. Nice. Well, and there's only like six or seven in the first season, I think. Oh, surely I could get through it in a couple of weeks and then I'd be caught up in time for season three. Totally. Yeah. I actually kind of want to rewatch it. I don't think it's, I don't even know when it's coming out. I don't think there was a date at the end of the trailer. Right. So probably like fall. I'm really psyched about these last two episodes of Mad Men, which I want to watch in uh, succession because uh-huh. then I can kind of treat the finale like a sort of two hour movie. I will say the last two seasons of Mad Men have not been as good. Okay. Um, the sh- You still really care about Dawn, but there are certain like, and I, th- I think you really should continue watching it someday. So I won't spoil it, but like there are certain events that transpire that are kind of like hurdles for him to overcome that you kind of think are just like forced plot points. Right. Um, Like it's understandable in the first half of the series that he creates a lot of obstacles for himself through his being a degenerate and being a selfish liar. Yeah. And then it would also be forgivable if that caught up with him later on. And I guess it does, but there is also other things that are just unjust that occur to make the show more dramatic. Mm-hmm. And then now towards the end, I'm really curious to see where it's going because it doesn't feel like it's about to end. Right. And yet I, I know it's generally a very well received series finale. Okay. Yeah. You, you don't have an idea of how it ends. I know a thing. Okay. I, I know what it might be a huge thing or it might, be a small thing right but i know a thing yeah about commercials probably the same thing yeah um so i'll get back to you on that the only other thing is that uh kyle mclaughlin is going to play howard baskin in that godforsaken show about the tiger king people that they don't need to make they've been releasing the cast for like two years (laughs) (laughs) it does feel that way like we don't like why are we why are we talking it's over nobody wants to revisit april 2020 no who was it that's that's gonna be playing? I think it was like J.K. Simmons signed up for like the role of like the dude with the Indiana Jones hat. No way, really. It was someone like that where I was like, "What? Why? 
Are they going to pad his pants? Like, I don't know. J.K. Simmons, to his credit, won that Academy Award and then, like, didn't do a bunch of lead parts. Like, he could have been, like, the next Liam Neeson, like, Taken franchise. Or he could have, like, done more dramatic parts. Like, he could have done, like, a Sorkin movie or something. Instead, he just kept doing J.K. Simmons roles. Like, little guest roles where he's J.K. Simmons. But, like, yeah, he's, like, a bigger guy doing... So, like, Palm Springs. Yeah. He's also super jacked. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, in The Tomorrow War, he is in full-on jack mode. Well, he got full-on jacked a few years ago, but maybe it was for The Tomorrow War. I think it was maybe for Whiplash. Is he jacked? No, he gets more jacked than in Whiplash. Okay. You're right. He wears a like tight black t-shirt in Whiplash, yeah. but there's a famous picture of him at the gym, and his guns are popping. Yeah. And that was a little bit after Whiplash. Yeah. No, he looks, he looks like fully like... I was like, whoa, if I can look like J.K. Simmons when I'm J.K. Simmons' age. Seriously. I'm going to be feeling good about myself. Absolutely. Let's talk about Dead Poets Society. All right. I didn't think about how we were going to recap this. You do it. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, put me on the clock. I'll try and... Do we do 45 seconds for a movie? Is that the deal? Yeah, we can do 45 seconds. Okay, give me 45 seconds. I'll try and recap. Oh, my word. Dead Poet Society, the movie from 1989. Peter Weir film starring Robin Williams and Robert Sean Leonard and Ethan Hawke and Josh Charles and some old guys. Yeah. I don't even... I wouldn't have even known those couple names. Like, I know them to see them. Who's the one from House? Robert Josh Charles? Yes. Okay. Right. He's um he's like the, the main guy. Yeah. Uh, Neil. Neil. Right. Okay. We're going to recap. Oh, boy. Three. Two, Dead Poets Society, one. 1959 takes place at like a Massachusetts boarding school uh, for boys. It's very prestigious and stuck up. Um, and the students are all like kind of shaking in their boots and want to impress their parents. And they have this unconventional teacher in uh, John Keating who teaches them not just the beauty of poetry, but life itself and seizing the day and being all you can be and following your heart and uh, living extraordinary lives. And so uh, we focus a lot on these two roommates who are Ethan Hawke and Robert Sean Leonard, the latter of which wants to be an actor, even though his dad, Red Foreman, wants him to be a doctor. And so he defies his dad and does the school play. And then his dad kicks him, takes him out of school. And so he kills himself and then uh, all the boys, oh, I forgot to mention they have a dead poet society. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention that they kind of take up the mantle of John Keating when he had been uh, a schoolboy at this institution who was the curator of an underground poetry club where the boys get together and they read like Walt Whitman to each other. Um, which Smoke cigarettes. Yeah, which turns out to be hugely controversial at the at the institution to the extent that um in the end john keating uh gets fired and all the boys or at least some of them get expelled yeah and he he didn't even know that they were doing it no but it's kind of he really gets railroaded actually like he 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 gets like really kind of like pushed through a keyhole at the end (laughs) because uh it's the 50s too which i wasn't super aware of until like Maybe minute thirty-five because they're all wearing, you know, there's uniforms no and the, and the building's old. Wearing, I guess, yeah. And they're wearing like Converse, I think. Sure, but I mean, Richie Cunningham wore Converse too. Right. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I guess it is like a uh, like sixties or fifties thing. Yeah, but I, it's also like kind of a transcendent thing. And they're so from like a conservative background, and clearly the school right. is of like a, a century old tradition, and right. it's like stuck in the old in the old days, except for Robin Williams' character. And he really loses his job not because of the Dead Poet Society, but because Neil has killed himself, and the father, who was never supportive of his son, has kind of spun it. I guess. Like he's he's forced this um, investigation, mm-hmm. and so they're kind of using him as a scapegoat. I think. And one of the kids was such a rat. He was a fink. He, he finked. Was a fink. Yeah. I have lots of uh, notes on this movie that I just kind of took. I was in like the uh, the throes of vaccine number two while I watched this. Oh, you so were it was, like chills and sweats watching oh, this movie. Um, we didn't talk about that, by the way. Really, really bad. Really bad. One day. And yeah, then I feel fine. same. Yeah. I I woke up. And I was literally like to put my socks on, like, uh, like, but my morning routine took far longer. I was like, I had hobbling to be, around. I had to be on the radio in Halifax, Vancouver, and Edmonton. Yeah, that sucks. Just like trying to get through it, trying to sound normal. Yeah, and I was shaking. I had to like find a blanket oh, at the God. station. I've, and it, like, interestingly, for a year and a half, anytime I had like a scratchy throat or a cough or something. There's all this anxiety that's attached to it because you think the worst. So it was kind of nice in a backwards way to feel horrible, but not worried. Right. Just to know why and to know that it's only going to last 24 to 36 hours. It's like a hangover. It was like a hangover. So I I think it was really beneficial that I got the shot at like noon Mm. because I was able to sleep, I think, through the worst part. I had a brutal sleep. Yeah. Like I just felt sore awful yeah my stomach was like almost kind of like nauseous i was mm. sore was moving around a lot and then the morning sucked for yeah. like like probably probably just until afternoon like like one o'clock i felt like pretty normal and then by like five and six i was out like doing stuff right mine was in the evening and so i actually didn't even get to the worst of it until mid-afternoon the next day right but it was the aches that i really noticed like i couldn't sleep on one side yeah. of my body yeah. And yeah. your arm kills. My arm still kind of hurts. Like yeah. I was just feeling it now. Like I can still very clearly feel where it sort of hurts. Yeah. Anyway, so I that's that's what I was feeling while I was watching this movie, oh, which that, that couldn't have made it enjoyable at well, all. Well, I, I I like to to put on a movie when I'm like feeling sick and just kind of like follow along with it. This is not the type of movie no, that I would want to I put on. I specifically said when I left for work yesterday, gee, I wish I could just stay home and watch The Princess Bride. Like I right. really just want to watch like I don't know, 40-year-old virgin or something. Totally. And it's not that I didn't like Dead Poet Society, but I knew that it was going to be emotional. I knew that it was going to be like quite a a dramatic movie. Um, And the other thing is I knew one of the kids was going to kill themselves. Did you know that much? Yeah, I had a, a feeling the whole time. I I think I, I knew I think happen. I knew that just culturally. I think yeah. somebody maybe have has told me that, but I didn't know who. Mm-hmm. And so as the movie goes on, it kind of feels like it could be Neil because he's like the main character and he's the one who you have like family background for. Yeah. But then he's also the main character. Right. So like, are, is that going to happen? And then like, there's a point where Josh Charles literally says, I'm going to kill myself yeah. when he's talking about that girl who he kissed when she was yes. passed out drunk, which is uncool. Right. Um, And then by the time it was happening, I was like, Okay, I guess it's I guess this is where we're going. But my issue with that is that like knowing that a suicide is coming all through the movie, I'm like looking for foreshadowing. Yeah. And I'm not seeing it anywhere. No. And so I 
I know that this is like a critically acclaimed movie and it's an Oscar winning script, but I actually think the death in the end is not telegraphed well at all. No. And like the fact that he's like repressed or or depressed or suicidal, it's it just kind of feels like this weird dramatic like uh, like a like a uh, dramatic tool that they're just using in the last four minutes to like really the the movie if it was made now. And I think there's a way it could be made now. First of all, it wouldn't win an Oscar. Right. Second of all, there would be 30 minutes afterward um, to have some sort of like, I don't know, more of like a. Like an epilogue, a coda. Yeah. There there would be something after everyone stands up on the desk. They would be either work. There would be like another conversation with the teacher after the Movies like this just wouldn't be made. Well, I don't think. Correct. And I happen to know about this. So, um, and this is what I meant earlier when I said that Ethan Hawke has another movie that just ends very suddenly. Like, in a way, I kind of like that it ends at Oh, Captain, My Captain. Like, this... That that was kind of cool. Like, because they very easily could have written this epilogue that takes it further. And it's kind of nice not to know. Although I can't help ask myself... What does poor John Keating do now? He's unhirable. Right. And he really did nothing wrong. Like, they're talking about how, like, the death of Neil Perry is solely on the hands of of John Keating, which is not true. All he did was, like, inspire these kids to like poetry, which was his job. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so what's interesting is that the original script has John Keating die of leukemia. And knowing this... I suddenly think that they totally chose wrong. They could have yeah. they could have kept Neil alive, and the whole point of him being like seize the day is because he knows he's dying. Right. That's a better story. <laughs> and maybe the school's trying to force him out because they like don't have uh like they know he's dying or something, and they're just like he, like he's on his way out. Like we just got to get him out, and the the students are like fighting for him to stay and get the reap the benefits or like. Whatever. The dad, the dad is played by Red Foreman. He's just like another hard ass father, but he's yeah. like much more awful than Red Foreman. Um, instead of Neil sneaking into his dad's bedside table, getting the gun and shooting himself in a way that's shown off screen mm-hmm. uh, with no blood, um, maybe he could have like taken his kid to school as some kind of punishment, and then Neil runs away. And he's never seen again in the movie. Right. He runs away to New York to be a Broadway actor. Sure. And that creates a great controversy because they're all like scared for what happened to Neil. And the yeah. school is school is afraid of a lawsuit. Dude. And totally. so they fire Robin Williams. I think the same impact can happen. And then Robin Williams dies of leukemia. I think it's a better movie. Because there's nothing that makes I like would have been such a shock watching that movie, like oh, it it just doesn't seem reasonable. No, it doesn't. Like there's there was <laughs> Not to like, you know, like mental health shame, but he was like totally fine. No, I And agree. I know that that also but might that, happen sometimes. Of but course. Like, but like, again, you're not one of the boys. You're, you're watching the movie. It should have been telegraphed for you poetically. Right. <clears throat> in some way, like it should have been in that, mm-hmm. uh, that desk set scene where they hurl the pens off the, off the roof of the school. Like it should have been in there that he is either depressed or like it's kind of in there that he's afraid of his father and that he's Mm -hmm. um or maybe they both start crying while they're doing it or something like while they're chucking stuff off 
and like they just like hug while they're crying. It's that very obvious that he's submissive to his father right from the beginning, like right from the opening scene, and then he is towards the end as well. And the only time he disobeys him is to be in the play. And this is another one of my nitpicks is like, why is it so important to his father that he not be the lead in a Shakespeare play at a school where he's studying poetry? Where he's done all the work. He's done all the work. He's in all the clubs. Yeah. He's getting great grades. Yeah. Why is, how is this getting in the way of him being a doctor right. someday? He's like, he's like four days away from like the play happening. Yeah. Well, why? It's tomorrow. He says, I can't quit the play. It's tomorrow. And he's like, you're quitting the play. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like, well, you're, you're an unreasonable human. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It comes to a certain point where someone like that, like, yeah, you would think that he would run away or he would rebel even harder. And that was one of the things that I thought, like, is he committing suicide to like, show his dad that he can think for himself is but that what we're supposed to take away from it maybe but that's a horrible lesson of course maybe it's that he can't think for himself he feels actually not as free as john keating made him right. feel but i don't know maybe he shows up at john keating's doorstep and that's when he finds out that john is actually sick right he find he shows up at john's apartment and 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 keating is like in his bed clothes and he's hurling into a bucket and then we learn mm. at the same time as neil What's actually behind all of this sees the day stuff, right? Yeah, and are then, we writing a way better Dead Poet Society? I, I think, think we, are. <laughs> I think we are, and I don't think the Dead Poet Society played that much of a part in the movie. Nope. This like, is the other thing: is like, why is it so controversial that they have a club? I guess I already said that. Yeah, and the yeah the club isn't really doing it. Like they're they're just kind of like hanging out, yeah. a little bit in like a cave. Yeah, reading Chaucer. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Why? Yeah. I certainly, I thought I was going to get a lot more. I thought I was going to finish this movie and be like, that's one of the best movies. Uh, not even a little bit. No. I'm, I was like, that was sad. Yeah. I'm happy it's done and part, I don't have to be watching Part of me is really glad that you feel the same. Yeah. Because I feel validated. Sometimes when I don't like a thing that people like, I feel like I'm stupid and I miss something. Another part of me really hoped that you would love it. So that's one of us got something out right. of it. Right. And I didn't hate it. You know who I liked is Nuwanda. The, yeah. yeah, he was fun. And if he had, uh, you know, I don't want to say it, but like if he had killed himself in the end, maybe that would have made a little bit more sense to the character because he's always so like, like trying to force something. I mean, he wants to be called Nuwanda. Like right. he is the epitome of escapism, right? Which is really what, what yeah, Neil is absolutely. doing. Yeah, you're so right. And he ends up being kind of the hero. Like he's the one who he gets kicked out of school in the end because yeah, he, he will he will not he punches the fink. He punches the fink. And uh, he will not stand down. Mm. Well, let's talk about Ethan Hawke, who's wonderful and like maybe one of my favorite actors. Yeah, rarely um, seen in this movie. Quiet as a little bird. <laughs> like, like he talks about being in this movie, but like I wonder. I'd love to hear his 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 interviews where he talks about being in this movie now because he's like a very minimal maybe not a minimal role like what happens to him means a lot mm. but he's so timid through the whole thing so he's like the legacy kid his brother was kind of a success story at this school and so he's here and he's already sort of known as like the next anderson kid right and he feels out of place and even when the dead poet society kind of forms he doesn't really get the whole poetry thing mm -hmm. until he has made the focus of one particular John Keating lesson, and he kind of makes up a poem off the top of his head in the class. And I think that's my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. Like, I, I really liked that, where he just ups with a poem. That was cool. 
And then in the end, he's the first kid to stand on the desk and say, oh, captain, my captain. So that's good. And there's only like five kids that do. I thought everybody was going to do it. I thought it was going to be the whole class. Yeah, I know. So there's a good chance like they could have all been uh, expelled. Probably, but we'll never know. Yeah. That's what I say. Like, what, like I know it doesn't matter what exists outside the the theater, but I can't help but wonder, like, is it really a happy ending for anybody here? I don't think there is. No, that's the thing. And and the other thing I don't like is that we <laughs> we go on kind of like a joyful romp a little bit. Yeah. For the first, let's say it's ninety-six <clears throat> percent of the movie. And the last 4%, all of a sudden you're thrust into like the most tragic outcome that could possibly exist. Right. Yeah. It's a real tonal shift. Yeah. Why? I mean, Robin Williams, amazing. Um, Yes. But like, even still, like you, you wanted him to be a little more Robin Williams-y. And I think like, you know, he obviously couldn't be the whole like, yes. Oh, oh, ma. Nobody like did a Brando impression. Yeah, that's true. Those were good. Yeah. Those were good. And that's that's another thing where I was like, he's doing like Godfather Brando, isn't he? Well, interesting. Uh, was he doing Godfather Brando or was or maybe, he just doing maybe Brando? Maybe that's just Brando like on the boardwalk or whatever. Yeah, I don't. I didn't think about it that much. And then he does John Wayne, which I guess would yeah, have been more right. chronistic. What about Josh Charles and this whole weird like B plot that lifts right out of the movie, by the way, and the movie was a little too long. And so maybe they should have considered lifting it out of the movie mm-hmm. where he has this intense crush on a girl who lives across town and yeah. really throws himself at her, even though she has a boyfriend and he's kind of played for the hero in this storyline. And her boyfriend is the meathead, but this yeah. boyfriend didn't ask for this. And sure enough, Josh Charles goes to the party and kisses her while she's, she's passed, passed out, out drunk. Yeah. And then he shows up at her school. Can you imagine if you were in in public high school and some boy from a private school you've never met before uh-huh. shows up to recite a love poem for your classmate? How well, nuts that would laughing. seem! Yeah, it would be yeah. horrifying. Yeah. And then she likes him in the end. She goes to the play with him. She goes there to be like, "Hey, he's gonna like hurt you." Yeah. And he's like, "No, he's not." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, I um. Yeah, what was your next point? That's it. That's you didn't it. say anything to that point. No, I know. I, I just thought you were going to go into another thing. But yeah, I, I wasn't sure that that whole thing really needed to happen. I wasn't sure what we were supposed to get out of this. Like, was he? did the Dead Poet Society help him break out of a shell? I don't think so. Who? The Ethan Hawke. Ethan, no. Um, Josh Charles. Josh Charles. Knox. Yeah, I think it did. I think that's that's why he that's recited a poem. Point. Yeah. Well, I guess the poem part. But yeah. like, what if he didn't have the poem? Well, at first he was afraid to talk to her, right? Like it was a big deal that he talked to her on the phone. Right. Next thing we know, he's like kissing her yeah. and reciting poems to her. So like clearly. I guess it does take it through the whole thing because he knocks on the door first. Well, and it sees the day. Like, it's, it's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Right. Like, that's like one of the. It, yeah. And, and he's seizing the day and he's making his life extraordinary. Yeah. Yep. Good point. Well, we share this hot take. The Dead Poet Society is actually a bit of a disappointment. We'll, we'll never watch it again. No, I don't. I really won't. And so I, on that note, I wanted to to list off a couple of uh, good teacher movies. Okay. Because you remember a few months back, I just casually threw on Mr. Mr. Holland's Opus and just love this movie. Yeah. And so now, knowing that they came out within five years of each other, 
I think it's a great injustice that Mr. Holland lives in Dead Poet's shadow right. because it's a way better film. It's schmaltzy, sure, but it's a beautiful story. I really like it. Um, School of Rock is a great teacher movie. Great teacher movie. Remember the Titans? Does that count? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think so I too. I was thinking that this was a movie that I was weirdly comparing in my head while watching this because I think Remember the Titans, although like beloved by our generation, was kind of overseen critically maybe a little bit because it's a disney movie because it's a disney movie yeah a, like a disney movie could never like if but it it's also been... a denzel movie like that gives it some credibility totally i feel like it just like that movie versus dead poet society yeah <laughs> this, like i might listen back to this one day and be like oh wow i said remember the titans was a way better movie than dead i mean society. like formatically if remember the titans is a teacher movie dead poet society is also kind of a sports movie because he's the coach who like gets the boys together and then they find a common purpose and yeah. they all grow as people. I will say, I don't remember the last time I watched uh, Remember Titans. the Titans, yeah. but it might kind of age the same way that I'm thinking, that I was thinking about like Mighty Ducks, where the Mighty Ducks movies were actually like watching them. I was like, oh my They're God, terrible. these are so awful. Yeah. Like I can't even believe that I was that I thought it was that good. But I feel like there's a general feeling around Remember the Titans where everyone is just so down for it. I mean, there's a big difference between Denzel and Emilio. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Do you remember Half Nelson with Ryan Gosling? That's a good teacher movie. Never watched it. It's it's not like a movie that's going to be remembered as like a top five Gosling. Also dark though, right? Dark, yes. I think he has like a painkiller addiction or something. Okay. And he's also a great teacher. I forget the specifics of it, but I watched it once and it was good. It was really good. Um, Election, the Alexander Payne movie with Reese Witherspoon and um, Matthew Broderick. I've so, never fully watched it. It's I've great. I've seen parts of it. It's, well, yeah. And like, I know I railed against Sideways recently, but that's the Alexander Payne movie. It's, he's not a good teacher, but it's a good teacher movie. Right. Um, similarly... Ferris Bueller's Day Off, not so much for Ed Rooney, but for Ben Stein. One of the great teacher sure. moments in any movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Matilda, Miss Honey. Yeah, she was like the the reason that Matilda was watchable. Yeah. Like if, if she you don't like exist, Matilda? No, I don't actually. Oh, interesting. I don't like Matilda at all. Oh, why? Um, I'm not like precious about Matilda, Jen, but I'm interested to know why you feel so strongly about it. Jen does love it. It's so sad. Like, no, it me, is sad. Yeah. To me, that's like the darkest kind of movie. They're being so mean to this like five-year-old. Yes. And I think you could argue that that's just in Matilda's eyes until they indeed abandon her. Right. <laughs> yeah. And like even watching the stuff that happens, like the, the teacher that th like throws the little girl by the Yeah, braids. the trench bowl. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like... I know that this is supposed to be like meant for comedic effect, but like it's outrageous. <laughs> well, I think I said recently, Wes Anderson is just doing Roald Dahl for adults. Yep. And and so it is like this kind of like heightened reality thing where you're not really sure if you're expected to apply the same ethics and logic to the universe of Roald Dahl. Right. Giant Peach, for example. Yeah. Um, but you're right. The parents are worse even than the trench bull. Because like everybody's had an evil teacher who is just inexplicable right. but like for parents to be this cruel to such a yeah. lovely little girl like, i'm smart you're dumb mm. i'm big you're small yeah, yeah that's right what is your favorite roll doll movie i guess willy wonka yeah i would guess so um i certainly don't remember really responding well to james and the giant peach it's creepy i remember that being a snore fest for yeah. me 
Um, Matilda, again, just kind of made my feelings known on that one. Coming up short on the other ones. I didn't see BFG, which was, I think, a Spielberg movie. Yeah, I didn't see it either. But yeah, I would say we, I would say we talked about the big three, and Willy Wonka is like number one with a bullet. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Just turned fifty last week. Wow, fifty years since that movie came out. That's all I got. Liam Neeson and uh, Dustin Hoffman both considered for John Keating. Interesting. I could see Hoffman. I struggle to see Neeson. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm the same way. Hoffman seems a little warmer than. Neeson, although IRL, not sure that that might be the case. Do you know anything about Robert Sean Leonard? Because I don't. And he's really good in this movie. He -hmm. kind of has like movie star energy. He kind of looks a little bit too much like young Jim Carrey. Yeah. But I looked up his IMDb. He's done like a lot of procedural work, but like this is not a very famous guy considering how how much he loomed over this film. I think he's like the most like theatrically trained of like like most actors am i right like he's actually he was in like a movie release of a shakespeare movie i think it was like a midsummer night's dream or something i remember watching it in great that's what he's in in this movie and he he plays the lead in midsummer night's dream oh is that right isn't it may it might be i think so yeah um think but this and all is mended so jade will help us out with this for sure thanks jade (laughs) come to a rescue on that one um so I think he was like more of like a like a very classically trained actor who ended up being in House. That was like his big. Okay, I didn't realize that he was. For a long wait time. a second, was he Wilson? Yeah, he was Wilson. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Now I can picture him. So that was that was how I knew him. Oh, okay. So hang on, you mentioned House, and I remembered seeing House in the long list of procedural dramas he'd been in. Yeah. I don't think I realized he was in every episode of he House. He was in every episode, and I watched every episode of House, and I never connected the dots. Yep. Oh, way to go. He's doing fine then. Good. Oh, he's totally fine. He's yeah. not like an unknown. No. He could he could probably, you know. He's a good actor. I just think that there's a better outcome for his character. Totally. Yeah. But it probably also like made him Yeah, you're right. If he just ran away, he would have been fine. He should have like one flew over the yeah. cuckoo's nest, you know, when they break out the window and they just run away. Yes, I've never seen Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, you, you would like it. Would I? Wouldn't mm-hmm. I be disturbed by it? I don't think you would. Okay. I think you'd be okay with it. Okay, cool. Want to wrap this sucker up? Yeah. The city of New Orleans did not plan a 4th of July fireworks celebration. Okay. So Will Smith bought them a bunch of fireworks and they had a big Will Smith firework Independence Day brigade. Wow. Yeah. So he made himself the hero. See, if if mm-hmm. you were being a good guy about it, you just do it anonymously. Well, he saved the day on Independence Day in real life. That's true. <laughs> it's so on the nose. It's true. Yeah, he's is. Are they doing like a reissue of Independence Day or something? You think this is guerrilla marketing? Bump up those numbers. Oh, of course. This reeks of just uh, finance and commerce. The Will Smith fireworks bump. Ugh, you're right. Wanted to see his name and lights Mm -hmm. in the sky, larger than life. Will Smith. Mm -hmm. We're gonna have to fly a little like plane with a banner in front of it that says "Never Trust." Will Smith. (laughs) 